Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. Today we're going to be looking at blockchain technology and its impact on the human dimension of transformation. I'm delighted to welcome Jeremy Williams, a consultant in blockchain and also in emotional intelligence. We'll come to that relationship later. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Susie. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Jeremy, you've worked in various retail, marine, motorbikes, real estate, customer experience, and also looking at a variety of subjects. So business performance, teaching, interpersonal skills, negotiation, of course, uh, emotional intelligence. Quite an array of skills, but I think is really indicative of the skills landscape of today, which is changing massively. And as we go digital, let me put it like that, we're going to need to understand how those skills change. And we need to upskill ourselves for all of the digital skills, both hard and soft. But let me start with blockchain. I know that's been your focus for the last six years or so. And I know that you currently work with teams and leaders to help them understand what blockchain can bring to them, but also what emotional intelligence can add to the gap between digital and human, let's put it that way. So let's start there. Why blockchain and why now? (laughs) Right. Great place to start. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Well, technology, uh, like it or not, love it or hate it, (laughs) uh, it's it's becoming, it really is starting to have a a huge impact on most of our lives. So there's no escaping the technology. Mm. And it can be a bit too much, you know, for a lot, even people who are pretty well rehearsed with tech, you know, there's a lot happening at the moment in in the current context. So, there are many types of te- technology that's, that, that is having this impact. Blockchain and artificial te- intelligence uh, together are probably having, I would say, some of the biggest impacts on many, many industries right across the board. Mm. Blockchain, I actually discovered in 2016, purely by chance. I was watching, a, a, it was a, a quiet day, and I decided to watch a documentary on Japan. Mm-hmm. And Japan are very ahead of the game you know, with a mm. lot of the technology. And there was an interview with a guy they called Bitcoin Jesus, a man called Ro- Roger Ver, who actually was a very early advocate of this technology. Mm. He explained in a nutshell what it was. And I thought, well, this is, this is interesting. I'd like to investigate this a little more. Mm. So after the documentary had finished, I got online and did a little bit more research. And I found the Bitcoin white paper. Okay. which is an eight eight page document and it basically outlines you know what is the reason for bitcoin mm. and i read through it i'm not you know hugely technical i don't come from the development world mm. but i understood the key takeaways and i started to think well this is really really interesting and that was the beginning <laughs> of going down the rabbit hole <laughs> so, so here's my lazy streak because eight pages Still sounds like quite a lot to me. So can can you just walk our listeners through what it is and what you learned from that white paper? Yeah, there's a clear takeaway, in fact, from it. Bitcoin, the white paper was released on the 3rd of January 2009. So if you think about that period in history, we were right, well, we were just coming through or right in the middle of, depending on where you were in the world, the financial crisis of Mm. that time. Mm. And the ethos of Bitcoin was that with globalization, the world had become too centralized. Mm. So in other words, your Lehman Brothers in this case went bankrupt and had a domino impact on the rest of the world. Mm. So if you read through the white paper, and if you're interested in blockchain, I think it's very important to understand that. Mm. People often conflate the two, Bitcoin, blockchain. Yeah, I'm just going to say that. (laughs) Absolutely. Bitcoin is the first successful use case of blockchain. So think of Bitcoin as like Google. I think right. of blockchain as like the internet. 
So Google okay. wouldn't exist or couldn't exist without the internet. So going back to the white paper, so the world mm. had become too centralized and the idea was to decentralize governance. So if you think about that for a moment, that's, that's quite a change to the world we know. Yeah, huge. But it's also reflected in the way businesses are trying to reorganize themselves, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And we'll come, we'll come on to that a little yeah. later today, but you, you're right. If you just, a, just a quick point, thinking about decision-making in organizations mm. now. A few years ago, maybe there were two or three decision-makers. Now you might have 10, 12 decision-makers. So it, it is having an impact on the, mm. the wider business world. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it should be more efficient or less efficient? <laughs> well, it, it, it depends. I mean, somebody last week uh, who is very vocal and very well respected in, in the space, uh, a man called Charles Hoskinson, he's one of the original Ethereum developers, which is uh, probably the second largest cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. which uh, pioneers smart contracts, which is a, a, another use case. He actually said, maybe, just maybe we're moving into a world which is a world for the many governed by the many not a world for the many governed by the few. And that's something that blockchain could potentially usher in. But that's, that's another conversation. <laughs> it is. But it's, it, yeah, it's a very exciting one. But we'll come back to that later if we have some. But I agree with you. It's, uh, it's another conversation. So yeah. if I come back to the blockchain then, and I really like the analogy you've given us of Google and internet, because now it's really simple for me to understand. Um, <laughs> so what, what does blockchain actually enable, but also disable then? on the way we interact from a human perspective in business? Right. Okay. Well, great question. Let let me just back up briefly uh, before I go on to answer that, because I think it's important to understand what is blockchain. Well, Mm. if you you Google it, there are many, many explanations of what blockchain is, but think of it as like a distributed ledger. Mm. Okay. So it's it's, it's a database in a way that is distributed through many computers. So there are effectively sort of three, I would say, core elements of a blockchain. One is the decentralization, so what I've just said, the distribution mm. okay, of the data. Uh, the second is that it's transparent. Okay, so the actors on the blockchain can see a lot of everything that's going on there, what has been put into the ledger. And also the other point, the third point is that it's immutable. Mm-hmm. So once you've so unlike, for example, a, a typical database, which we're all very you know used to, if you have the keys to that database, if it's in your interest or if somebody asks you to, and there's a valid reason for doing that, you can go in, you can change records, you can delete records. Mm. So that really can cause many problems for many people because there's a lack of trust there. But with yeah. blockchain, once you've put the data onto the blockchain and it's been put into the block, and the next block has been created with the data of the previous block, then it's there forever. You cannot delete it. If, there's a mis- if it's proven that there was a mistake, you have to create another transaction that reverses the transaction wow. that was wrong. So what you do is you have a trail, you have a, a breadcrumb trail of mm. all transactions on the ledger, and the blockchain grows. So this is great because you have the decentralization, you have the transparency, and you have the immutability. So mm-hmm. it has trust built into it by default. As and well that's as accountability, no? Because if it's immutable and you're the one who's put it in there, then you're accountable for that. Absolutely. So going now going on to answer your question, you know, I would say there are like seven key points that, that it enables. You've got mm-hmm. transparency. 
Mm-hmm. So, which is, of course, evident, you know, it, it, with what I've just explained, which is obviously incredibly important. You have the integrity mm-hmm. of the data, immutability, which, you know, is, is linked to that, um, the security, because there's no single point of weakness. Mm. And that's the thing. If you have your data on a database and the database gets hacked, Mm. And in all fairness, in the blockchain world, with a cryptocurrency aspect of it, yes, there have been quite a few hacks, but the hacks have not been of the blockchains, typically. They have been of the centralized exchanges which ah, engage okay. with the blockchain. Okay, so it remains immutable, blockchain. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So for security, it's very good because you decentralize. And for, for example, I'll give you a basic example. If you decentralize your name and address, mm. it's part of one of the letters of your name on one computer and part on another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If somebody hacks one of those computers, it means nothing to them. Mm. But if they hack a database with your name, address, and bank details, it's a problem. Yeah, so it's 100% transparent. Yeah. So you have this security built in, Mm. which is great. The other one is that when the founder or founders of Bitcoin put together the white paper, now this person group of people is the pseudonym is satoshi nakamoto nobody knows who it is okay could be a government mm. could be a cut you know it could be a person could be a group of people nobody knows mm. they don't have to know in fact when they actually put this uh when they launched it they actually said uh in 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 the white paper that you know the reason that it that it was born was because of the financial crisis so there was there's a clear beginning to it and all of the points that I've mentioned, you know, linked to removing the third party are very mm. important. So what the, what the developers managed to achieve, which is something that is groundbreaking, is they have, with through cryptography and advanced coding, they've allowed the third party to be removed from a transaction. So for example, an analogy with data, if you have some data you want to share, Mm. You send it to one person and they send it on to another, another, another. It's not a problem. That's what you probably expect in some cases. Mm. If you do business with somebody and they send you 100 euros, for example, it's important that when you've received the 100 euros that they don't have it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, clearly. So this is what they've been trying to, they had Mm. been trying to work out for years called the double spend problem. Okay? Okay. So we're going from the internet of information to the next level of the internet, which we're talking about now, which is the internet of value, okay. transacting value. Mm-hmm. Okay, So the mm-hmm. double spend problem, because of the transparency, the integrity, the immutability of a blockchain, you can remove the third party from a transaction, which in a world that we've grown up in, there has always been an organization, a bank would be a good example, mm-hmm. that sits between two parties. All right? Yeah. So just think of a world for a minute where you remove the third party from transactions. Can you think about how many businesses and industries are going to be disrupted by that? Massively. And for me, it's constructive disruption. I mean, you know, we were talking before the show, and we've already hit on this discussion of, you know, could it be the answer to the global governance crisis? And when I hear that, and I hear around how it, how it makes decentralised, transparent decision-making that's accountable I think the possibilities are endless in terms of governance as well as in terms of data. Absolutely. You know, and, and I say, you know, as we go through the, the chat today, I'll mention Bitcoin on and off. And the reason I do that is one, it's the original use case and still mm-hmm. a very powerful use case of blockchain technology. It's a brand name now as well, of course. Yeah. But 
it's important to mention that you know cryptocurrency is one use case, but there are many, many, many use cases that we're going to you know touch mm. on today. Mm. So I think it's very important to you know put it into context here. Absolutely. So this double spend problem allows the removal in some cases of the third party or the third parties that do exist are going to have to reimagine, and believe me, they're already doing this, I'm sure of it, mm. where do they add value into the transaction? Wow. And where do they add I mean, I know you don't probably have the answer, otherwise they wouldn't be working on it still, but, you know, is that, are we talking more then about the human value of how they interact or? Many aspects. I mean, just to give you a, a, an example, to I, I think that is very uh, applicable, is that when you have, for example, you know, Bitcoin, a certain amount of Bitcoin, mm. you have a private key. Okay, so you have your wallet. The Bitcoin. You say you own a hundred euros of Bitcoin or another crypto that you're mm. using. That is on the blockchain. Now, a Bitcoin, you have twenty-one million that will exist in total. When the last one is created, you never have the Bitcoin on your wallet or on you. It's it's there on the blockchain. It stays there forever. All you have is the on the ledger. The block exactly the Bitcoin Mm, blockchain. So every different crypto, every project will have an individual blockchain, and the blockchains will speak. Mm. Okay, that's how transactions will happen. Okay, so you have what we call a private key, which gives you the right to move that part of a Bitcoin, that one hundred euros, from one wallet to another. Okay, no third party can tell you that you can't do that. Okay, but that transaction is there on the ledger and it's forever. It cannot be erased, it cannot be hidden. It's there. Anybody with internet access can go and see the transaction. They can see your wallet if you give them this specific address and they can see the transactions. So it's completely visible. So, just the point the idea that it's usable by criminals is absolutely ridiculous. It was, Mm. you know, years ago when it started. But why would you put your transactions on a public ledger that can be accessed by anybody in the world that is immutable? doesn't make mm. any sense. No, clearly not. All right. Mm. So I think it's important to dispel that myth. Yes, it was <laughs> used in the early days and mm. then things changed. So private keys, if you lose your private key, there's no forgot password. There's no bank (laughs) to contact. Exactly. (laughs) There's no bank to contact to say, I've lost my card. I've lost my key. You've lost access to your Bitcoin. So until you can remember it, it's gone forever. Or I should say it's gone. It's blocked on the blockchain. You'll be able to see it. You'll be able to see your wallet on the online, but you won't be able to move it because you don't have the private key. So therefore the banks are starting to offer private key storage. Uh-huh. There's a pivot right. for you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that that's sort of that's the value they're going to add. Uh, Nasdaq today, I think, uh, actually announced they're going to offer custodial uh, services for institutions right. to hold their private keys. Right. Okay. You know? Oh yeah. So they're creating private keys as a service in inverted commas. Absolutely, with advanced technology, mm. where you have to have multi-signature, maybe five people need to sign from wherever they are in the world to, to move a certain value, a million or two million or whatever it is. So there are many different companies that are, that are around that will pivot, they will change their business model to mm. capitalize on this space. Yeah. So, so if I take that different business model, it will inevitably come and change the way we do business, won't it? So as I think is ever present, you have a disconnect in time between how quickly you advance in your personal life. Banking is a great example. 
I mean, who goes into a bank these days? Hardly anyone. How quickly you advance in organizational design and the ways of working in an organization, which is sort of two speeds down, isn't it? Although you already do it in your personal life. Mm-hmm. So if I take this, I'm going to call it private key as a service, that, that the mindset and the business model that goes with that, what does that mean, in your opinion, for the way we work in organizations? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there are different ways of looking at this. Mm-hmm. A lot of the benefits of blockchain will be behind the scenes. You know, people now, when they're sending emails, they don't necessarily know all the technicalities behind it. Uh, HTML5, when they're designing a website. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. People don't need to know all the technical stuff. So I think what's going to happen is it's going to, it is already creeping into our lives behind the scenes, you know, Mm -hmm. and people won't need to know much about it. When it comes to the business use cases, you know, in in companies and how it's going to impact people, it's really yet to be seen. You know, mm-hmm. I think I, there are certainly use cases, which we'll discuss in a minute. But when it mm-hmm. comes to the way a company actually stru- is structured and operates, yes, there will be decentralizing of data inside of organizations because you don't, you know, Bitcoin is a public blockchain, but you can set up a private blockchain and you invite as an organization and you invite mm-hmm. the stakeholders that you engage with to your blockchain. Okay. So, you know, if you're a consultancy company, you could have, you know, all of your consultants would be invited to your blockchain that you would personally invite your suppliers, all the different people, the stakeholders you interact with and do business with, uh, you have on your private blockchain. So therefore, you can open up certain parts of the blockchain to be transparent. You can close off others to be just visible to certain stakeholders. But what it does is in your ecosystem as an organization, it creates it fosters that trust Mm. because you have a very efficient system that's just for the people who have been invited and there's a sense that when the data is put into the onto the blockchain that it is there it's immutable you know it's secure it's Mm. you know decentralized and all that we've just said so this is i think a great way to build relationships and trust a really trusting relationships between the stakeholders is definitely a benefit that we're starting to see now. Companies are starting to play with this technology in small areas of their business mm-hmm. and they're learning you know, with like a sandbox, as we call it, you yeah. know, and they learn. You know. mm. And so do you see, I'm reading slightly between the lines, do you see it therefore as a lever for culture change in an organisation in terms of, you know, it is also impacting positively the human systems of the organization. So the relationships, the way trust is built, and effectively the way they're working. So mm-hmm. my natural conclusion from that is that it it will change the culture to a culture that is more trust-based. Do you think that's naive of me or or is that do you see a lever there? I, I totally agree with you. And I I think you know in many companies. This is a big question at the moment mm. in governments. It's a question, you know, countries. Mm. So at many different levels, but back to companies, yes, it's a great way to foster trust. That's the, the big point about this is the way the relationship between the people and the technology. Yeah. So this technology, especially if you, if you put blockchain with artificial intelligence, you can really start to outsource, let's say, to the technology, quite mundane, repetitive tasks with you know high potential for error mm. using this technology. So you redu- reduce the, the possibility of errors to almost zero 
you know, mm-hmm. so then you're mm-hmm. going to get rid of a lot of problems that come from that, you know, Excel spreadsheets. I mean, who uses those anymore? Well, lots of organizations <laughs> still say, do, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, 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 it causes a lot of problems when people, mm-hmm. you know, make mistakes on, with that type of thing. So this technology is going to outsource, you know, that we'll outsource it to that, which is going to free up people to spend more time working together with creativity, coming up with, you know, solutions to challenges that exist the fun part of work let's be honest about yeah, it yeah, i completely agree with you yeah yeah uh, absolutely and but at the same time this technology is you know working away in the background and you have confidence that it's uh, you know that it's actually doing good so i think it's a great i really do believe in this tech i, I think you know there are challenges with it like everything and it's still relatively new mm. but it's yeah it, it's amazing it really is Mm. And in terms of bridging the gap, therefore, between the tech, let's just call it the tech, because today mm-hmm. it's called this, it might be called something different in two years' time, but we won't be that different, will we, in the, in how long we take to change our habits and our mindset and our ways of working. So is that your emotional intelligence brick? Is, is that where you bring it in? Is that where you see it fitting into the sort of human digital landscape, being able to build on the space? and the value that could be in that space because you've automated so much? Yes. Yeah. For me, what is it, what I'm hearing and seeing more and more is teams are looking at this technology and looking at how it is encroaching more and more on our daily work. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are two camps, really. There's the one camp, which is like, oh, my God, this is going to take my job. This is going to remove you know, the need for me in, in this role, and I'm going to have to leave or, or retrain, and it scares mm. people very much. Mm. And then you have the other side of the coin, the population that are like, well, this is great. We can leverage this technology. So we talk about the emotional intelligence side. You know, We have to remember you know, we are human. We're not robots. Mm. And people, I think, en masse now, with what we've been through the last few years, are re- reimagining you know what it is what value do they bring to organizations what you know what my job role that i have what do i do mm. why do i do what i do what value do i bring mm. so you know this is something you know a lot of people are going through at the moment mm. so absolutely i mean the relationship with technology you can't get away from it it's there and technology is going to you know, it's it's going to innovate. Things are going to innovate very, very quickly, whether people like it or not. It's inevitable yeah. Yeah. technological development. Mm. So it's better to to educate oneself about it and others and learn about it and embrace it mm. than just to push it away and resist and resist mm. and resist. Mm. Absolutely. I'd just like to mention one other thing linked to that, if I may. Yeah, of course. With my client base at the moment, I'm finding a very interesting uh, pattern developing Mm. is that you have a very millennial heavy population in many companies now. I think about, I think there was a study in the US that predicted around about now, uh, 2022, about 50% of the active workforce would be millennials. So what we're seeing, and I think it's pretty clear for many people now, is a shift in mindset. Mm. And millennials are moving into positions of power and influence in companies, and they are, in many cases, pretty tech savvy. Mm. So we're sort of seeing, an, you know, a, a, with maximum respect, but a sort of changing of the guard. The old yeah. guard are moving uh-huh. on. Some of the old guard are really good with tech. A lot of them are not very comfortable with it. Mm. And we're seeing this new guard arrive that are very tech savvy. So there's definitely a, a, you know, a period of flux that we're going through. And 
I'm seeing some companies that are really, they've always led with the emotional intelligence, the human side, mm. and they've grown that way, you know, rightly so, very focused on the people side of business, which is obviously, you know, business is mm. about people. Yeah. And the technology has sort of been on catch up. And then you have the other type of companies, sort of the newer startups and scale-ups, hyper-growth companies, where very often the tech is leading the way mm. and they have the challenge of the people side, the emotional intelligence side, it sometimes has to be on catch-up. So the companies that get it right somewhere in the middle are definitely the ones that are in a good place at the moment. Mm. Mm. But there are the two extremes which, for different reasons, are having challenges. Mm. And that's a very difficult balance to strike. Mm. And I think for me, one of the biggest skills gaps currently for decision making is systems complexity and managing both. So seeing things through systems and managing mm. complexity that the complexity that's inherent to systems. And then of course yeah. the human complexity. And it brings me to the idea of the VUCA world that's you know <laughs> uncertain by its very essence and the onset of the metaverse. Mm. which brings another layer of complications, <laughs> even if you have that cursor in the middle. So what are your thoughts on that from the work that, that you're doing and the, the research that you're doing and what you see with your clients? Yeah. So again, you know, one of the touched on the metaverse here. So this is a great use case of mm. uh, blockchain technology. So in fact, if you look in the dictionary, there isn't yet a definition of metaverse. It's, it's yet to be added. Okay. So there are many takes on it. Just before we continue, let's just briefly sort of outline what it is. I would say the metaverse is a coming together of our virtual let's say gaming world for those of us that you know have i'm not a gamer really but uh i understand, I understand, I understand the term. <laughs> yeah absolutely it's the coming together of sort of the virtual gaming side of one's world mm. and reality so it you know not so long ago, if you're a gamer, you know, you do your work or your studies uh, and finish that and then you would go home and you know get into your gaming but now what we gamified We've gamified, uh, you know, using blockchain technologies who created the metaverse. So basically what it is, it's a virtual world where, for example, if you're a very good gamer and let's say you win some tokens because you, you know, win some games, you're very good at it. Those tokens could be a bit of Bitcoin, it could be a bit of Ethereum or one of the other ones. You can then spend and use those tokens in the real world. So we're getting to a stage where the two are coming yeah. together. The Matrix. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was pretty much, pretty much, and it, you can you can move on and on. I mean, it could be in the future that you you have an avatar of yourself, yeah. yeah, which is based on your real life skills. The artificial intelligence through machine learning aspect of AI will actually, you know, uh, that that avatar of yourself will have a personality that will constantly be in sync with your real personality. And you'll put these one or two or three avatars to work. They'll actually have jobs in the metaverse wow. working for different brands and they'll be earning tokens for you that you'll be able to spend in your real world. So you could get to a situation where you can actually stop working as a real human and do some charity work or whatever you want to do. And you have a few versions of yourself that are actually working that are earning your income. Wow, I did. That's something I would need to get my head around. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's just. <laughs> well, no, but it's um, it's it feels real because I've so I've been on one of these platforms where I had an avatar, just a you know just an avatar. It wasn't thinking for me, or 
and that was weird enough. So I was just like projecting onto this, oh, somebody who's actually got my skills and that looks and talks and does what I do and I do something different is quite a surreal thought for me for the moment. Yes, it, I think for many people mm. still it is. But um, if you look at the some of the business use cases, the metaverse, I mm. mean, they're really starting to to arrive now. I know that some of the luxury brands are very active in this space. Uh, some of the top French brands, I know for a fact, mm. are actually uh, you know well in well into the process of building metaverse experience for their clients. So, for example, you know, virtual shop where you can actually go there and you know, in a very very immersive way. You can actually, you know, shop in the metaverse. Uh, so there's an experience, mm. you know, with uh, mm. personal shopping, which is something. It's typical that the luxury brands will go in, will embrace new technology yeah. first. Yeah. So that's that's happening as we speak. You also have training, and this is where, mm. you know, I think we'd be both passionate about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is that in companies? I'm almost sure in the coming years that you know onboarding will be done in the metaverse training will be done in the metaverse you can create your own metaverse with very realistic experiences Mm. and very engaging sessions Mm. but I I know that with these headsets typically we'd have to use I know looking through a screen is pretty tiring so I think what that's going to mean is training is going to have to be very short and snappy and dynamic gone will be the three four five hour training sessions it'll be like you know, 30 minutes, 60 mm. minute sessions, very dynamic, really engaging and interactive. But and in a way, that's the trend, isn't it? That I was reading that most learning now happens through micro learning. So, you know, videos, video learning for no longer than 12 minutes. That's quite a change from five hours in a room or even five hours on, on a screen. But I think it's also going to change the way we learn and the dynamic in which we learn. So that will become part of companies' at competitive advantage, won't it, in terms of what they do with their talent and how they develop their talent. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I think if you then link the, these metaverse experiences, that I my contention is that virtually all brands in the coming, you know, by the end of this decade, mm. will have some sort of presence in the metaverse. I, I think, you know, I have no doubt about that mm. uh, in some sort of form. So if you put that to one side a second, and then you add in NFTs, so Mm. non-fungible tokens, then that allows you to, for example, somebody goes into the metaverse, let's say one of your clients goes into Mm. the metaverse, has an experience there, you then give them or sell them an NFT. It's a non-fungible token, which is a unique token with a unique use case. And as they move on, they can get rewards onto that token. You can load the token with offers, with new information, new training, whatever it might be. And that and that token follows them. They have it with them. They have the private key in, on their wallet, okay. which gives them unique access to that. And you can add value to that token as a training organization, as, as a brand, whoever it is, you can actually add value to that token as the creator of the token. So that really is very because you're tokenizing and you're almost gamifying training, mm. whatever it might be. Mm. That for me, the way those two could work together for brands is is a real game changer when it comes mm. to engagement and loyalty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's brilliant. 
Yeah, and if I translate that from the customer experience onto the employee experience, that you know, there's also going to be a lot of change there, isn't it? It's also going to change the way employees engage with their workplace and their peers, and you know, the, what's going on in their business. Yes, absolutely, and it's almost gamifying things, uh, gamifying activities, but in in a oh, I don't want to be disrespectful, but in an adult way, mm. you know, because mm. people often put gaming more to do with yeah. kids and teenagers, yeah. etc. But you know, it, it's just making things fun and accessible, and and that's why I'm so passionate about education for this space because. Mm. The advent of blockchain, you know, for me is 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 a world changing technology. It's not just another thing. It's it's akin to the internet. Mm. It really is. It's the next layer. In fact, I think mm. of it of the internet. Yeah. And, and if I go back to 2016, which is when you started your personal journey with this technology, what's your most disruptive memory? And by disruptive, I mean one that really made you change one of your thought paradigms. There are a few. I think I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, the big one that's that sits right at the center of it all is is the idea that you don't need a third party to yeah. verify a transaction. That is a game changer because it changes everything mm. from governments in countries right down to governance in companies mm. and the individual you know sending value or receiving value from another. That is a complete game changer. So that sits at the center and it, it continues to fascinate and mm. amaze me every day. If we talk about use cases briefly, because that's what you've just sort of adhered to, mm. there are two or three that jump out at me. Supply chain is another one. Mm. We've had a few scandals here in, in, in France and other countries with, you know, meat, uh, yeah. Yeah, meat situations, mm. uh, you know, uh, counterfeit goods, et cetera. So supply chain is a great use of blockchain. It's already being used by many top brands already. I think Nestle are, are using mm. it along with some others. So you imagine, yes, you can verify. People say, well, that happens now. You can track. Yes, you can, but it's using database. So if somebody has a vested okay. interest to go yeah. in and wipe that entry or to change it to suit them for whatever reason, they can do it if they have the administrative you know, yes. privileges. Mm. Okay. With blockchain, yes, mistakes can be still there, but it's there for everybody to see. So you can create a transaction that you know, sort of deletes, or not mm. deletes, but you know, reverses, I should say, that uh, or counters that mistake. So it's more transparency. You bring trust so when it comes to supply chain, you know, shipping is a good example. Mm. Uh, when it comes to um, uh, counterfeit, counterfeit goods, yeah. I think it was announced today that the EU are linking with a few organisations to actually try to you know, minimise the amount of counterfeit goods coming into the European bloc using blockchain technology. It's mm. a great use case. It's yeah. here. It's happening. It's not up in the mm. sky somewhere. It's a real use case. And the other one, which... I learned about in 2017, which I think is also very interesting, which is finance. It's uh, remittance payments around the world. Mm. So there's a company, a US uh, company called Ripple, as an example. They're a, a financial you know, blockchain company. What they're trying to do is to replace the SWIFT system, global banking mm -hmm. system, to send value around the world. So imagine what sort of mission that is. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's huge. Yeah. You know, you have maybe over, way over $20 trillion of liquidity that sat in a liquidity pool. They're called Nostro and Vostro accounts. So all the banks that are part of this global financial system that use SWIFT have to put money into this pot to create liquidity to facilitate transactions. 
there are typically about five to seven or eight touch points when you send money around the world. And every one of those uh, intermediaries takes a little bit of profit. Mm-hmm. So the, pro- the, you know, the, the process is like a 70-year-old process. It's very clunky. There's a lot of friction. Therefore, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. If you send 100 euros as a, you know, as a, a migrant worker somewhere in the US back to Europe, by the time it gets to the, the, you know, the person who you're sending it to, it's probably cost you, I don't know, uh, four or five euros or more mm-hmm. in some cases. What Ripple are doing is they're using a currency XRP to actually send value across the world using a blockchain, using their, well, not their, it's the blockchain they're connected to, which is the XRP ledger. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the value from original currency gets switched to the currency of the of the blockchain that they're mm. using, the XRP ledger. It goes in about three seconds anywhere in the world and it gets switched to the destination currency. It costs like 0.002 cents or whatever it is. Mm. It's very cheap. It's immutable. It's on a blockchain. So this is a way of companies and banks not having to have all this money locked in liquidity pools. So for me, it's a massive global use case mm. and it frees up liquidity of banks and financial institutions. You know, so incredibly powerful and it's bringing the, the global payment system into the 21st century. Mm. Whether it will work and be successful long-term, who knows? Because there's a lot mm. of politics involved. Yeah. But I mean, another great use case. It is. And if I put the human dimension of that use case alongside it what does that mean for us as humans what does it mean for the way we need to transform for the way we need to adapt yeah well it 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 means that you know if we increase efficiency by that much you know Mm -hmm. so just sending payments around the world if it happens so quickly and you know with virtually zero mistakes if as humans it frees us up to invest our time doing more human things yeah. Not repetitive, laborious mm. tasks. So it frees us up to, you know, have that, uh, you know, uh, uh, catch up with some relatives or with some friends. That extra meeting at work where we're going to create something. You know, we're going to create a buzz. We're designing a product. You know, so for me, it's going to allow us as humans in a business context mm. to focus our energy on doing great stuff that only humans can do at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, at the end of the day, I mean, if you have a job we'd like to think as many people as possible enjoy what they do. And if we can get them to spend more time enjoying what they love and what they're great at and where they add value, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah. And we've got to keep ourselves relevant, haven't we? Let's let's be clear. As technology increases, we do have to remain relevant. And what keeps us relevant is those innate human qualities of creativity and imagination and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the, incidentally, if you just briefly, you know, nod towards artificial intelligence um when we talk about super ai mm. you know see so like the weak and the strong and you have the super the ultimate question that always has to go before any other question for the artificial intelligence if we get to that stage is is the decision that you're about to make super artificial intelligence is it good for the human race yes or no if it is good for the human race and there's evidence to back up your choice, then go forth to step two. If it isn't good for the human race, it stops now mm. because we have to have that as a default first question. Mm. Otherwise, we could you know, end up on a slippery slope mm. as humanity, and that's obviously not what anybody wants. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> And time is running, but would you have a last recommendation or call to action for 
particularly leaders looking to get to grips with these subjects and you know the metaverse and the future of leadership and what it means for them yeah i would say you know don't wait don't don't wait you know like some companies were doing with the advent of the internet when it mm. really started to gather pace around 2000 start educating yourself start with understanding the basics of blockchain you mm. know the fundamentals so there are different consensus consensus algorithms like proof of work which is bitcoin proof of stake mm. you know consensus there are some others so understand what blockchain is this at a base level what the basic consensus models are with their pluses and minuses and start to maybe put a few people together inside your organization as a little working group you know mm. a bit of fun you know a lunch break or i don't know once a month you could have a, a working lunch where you discuss well look we've all done our little bit of homework we understand what blockchain is and we're going to brainstorm together and come up with some ideas of how we think we could leverage this technology inside of our organization and that, what I say, is, is, is a good place to start because mm. like it or not, in many industries, clients are going to start, you know, turning up and saying, hey, you know, this blockchain, the metaverse, uh, NFTs, uh, faster payments, uh, internet of value, what do you know about it? So at least you have the basics where you mm. can engage in a conversation and learn together mm. rather than put your head in the sand mm. and dismiss it. And then past that, you've got different organizations that can help companies to educate their staff uh, also you can then move to putting together a sandbox you know mm. so you can maybe identify one area of your business where you would like to start utilizing the blockchain technology mm. and then you can play with it you can make mistakes as we all do when we're mm. learning and then you can iterate from there so it's definitely I, I definitely think it's such a game changer that it's not a good idea to dive in head first and try and make big changes, high stakes changes too mm. soon. Mm. It definitely needs to be understood. Uh, and there are pluses and minuses to, to its use case, uh, mm. use cases like, like everything. Mm. So, so bit by bit. Yeah, what it is and what it means and what skills you have and don't have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and to play, and it's one of my missions really is to try and educate as many, you know, entrepreneurs, consultants mm. and business leaders as possible about more the, the human side of how this technology can benefit us yeah. not to dig. It's very easy to get, slip down into the weeds and start talking about the protocols and, and you can very quickly lose people if you're not mm. a developer. Mm. So I think it's, it's, it's very important to keep in your mind, the basics, the fundamentals, you know, with the use cases, and the be and the benefits to you know, to the the users it's incredibly important yeah excellent thank you for that i'll leave our listeners with that last nugget jeremy thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts where where can people find out more about you and what you do yeah uh, so i'm very active on, on linkedin so we type in jeremy uh, peter williams you'll, you'll find my profile very easily so i try to keep as much uh, you know, regularity there as possible mm -hmm. regarding uh you know the educational side of things and important what i feel to be important news i actually have a new initiative that i've started that is going to launch on the 7th of october it's called block lunch 45 okay what it basically is is a 12 week journey uh, every friday at one o'clock Central European time, we'll have a 45-minute lunch break, working lunch break, 
online, Excellent. where we'll actually welcome entrepreneurs, consultants, and business leaders. And we'll actually progressively talk about blockchain and its uh, associated use cases in the for the world of business. So we'll start off with the, you know, with the fundamentals of the first few weeks, and we'll build up from there towards NFTs and the metaverse. So my mission is, is to give people a platform to engage, ask questions uh, in a very relaxed, convivial atmosphere. And I'll actually share with all the participants the material that we use in every session as well. So it won't be like 20 slides of, uh, of information. Don't worry. It'll be like you know two or three slides of information with a key theme and then an associated discussion. So you know, people should be, you go away from those sessions feeling, you know, hopefully wiser than when they arrived, but in a very convivial way. If people go to my LinkedIn profile, they'll, they'll find that. It's called Block Lunch 45. There's actually a website that I've just set up as well. It's blocklunch45.ghost.io. Okay. And that's where I'll also publish information about this uh, working blockchain lunch. Okay, excellent. What a great idea, working blockchain lunch. So block Chain 45, is that right? Block Lunch, block lunch 45. 45. Okay, so I invite all our listeners to go and have a look at blocklunch45.ghost.io. Excellent. Absolutely, thank you. And you're welcome as well. I will be there. <laughs> if you'd like to. <laughs> Thanks once again, Jeremy. It's been a great conversation. Great. Thanks for your time. It's been really interesting and uh, speak to you soon. Yeah, speak to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode and all the learning it brought you. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.